right, everybody. Happy, happy Friday. Hope, uh, hope everyone's week's gone well. Um, this might be a little bit of a, a longer one today because there's a couple of questions that are kind of involved. So let's, uh, let's get right into it. Um, any comment on the implication of the Fifth Circuit decision, the Collins case? on the warrants that the government owns in Fannie and Freddie. Uh, there shouldn't be. The, the warrants aren't being challenged in any of the current cases. Uh, it's all, all the current cases it stems from the net worth sweep. Um, so there should be no effect on the government's warrants. And it really is depends on what they opt to do with them. Um, really does depend on a lot of the valuations you've seen of the common shares out there. So... I think what they do is, well, we'll get into that later because there's other questions. So, um, but no, there should be any effect on the warrants. Um, IIPR, an observation. I heard the bearish argument for IIPR this week. I'm in no position to evaluate it. Perhaps this is why the shares have been under pressure last month. IIPR's margins are not sustainable for two reasons. The opening up of conventional banking relationships for cannabis companies in the USA will mean that much lower price, much lower price financing alternative will come available. Reducing the margins IAPR will be able to command a new business, resulting in renewals for existing customers to be made at much reduced rates, although years out from now. And two, there's going to be a lot of upheaval in the cannabis market, so it's possible some or many of IAPR's clients will face financial headwinds over the years, so they cannot be classified as reliable clients for the full length of their agreements. All right, so two answers to that. Uh, the first one, uh, conventional banking opening up. Now... I've, I've spoken to people about this, and this is their response. Not people at IAPR, people in the cannabis industry. The, the Banking Act, or the States Act, whatever it's called, SAFE Act, whatever, um, if that is passed, and again, this is in its current form, right? This thing is going to go through committees and be chopped and stopped, chopped and slopped 20 different ways. So, you know, it could change from here. So what I'm saying right now Monday morning, if they change it, it'll be completely irrelevant or it could be even stronger case or whatever. So what that would do was, in theory, open up banking for um, cannabis companies, right? They can bank. Right now, they can't bank at a lot of banks uh, because it's a it's, um, Schedule 1 narcotic. Um, the state act would, would indemnify a lot of these players for letting them bank. Um, what I've heard is that since it does not deschedule it, that your big banks aren't still going to touch marijuana because it's still a Schedule 1 narcotic, or not narcotic, Schedule 1 drug. That your, your cities, your Bank of America, your J.P. Morgan, da 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 they're still not going to touch it. There's also concern that the big credit card processors aren't going to touch it. And that maybe you'll be able to use a card, but it'll have to be a debit card hooked directly to your local bank. So, yes, they'll be able to deposit money in the banks and earn interest on it and do that kind of traditional banking relationship instead of having stacks of cash someplace. So that will be easier for them to do. But there's a lot of hesitancy to of people to think that the floodgates are going to open. Secondarily, there's also no indication that the mortgage market is going to open up for, for cannabis companies. There's a big difference between um, 
you know, extending someone a $20 million loan to build a grow house and letting them deposit and withdraw money and, and process ATM transactions or uh, debit card transactions for, on your bank. Big difference. And point one actually goes to point... So in, in, in a way, the second point here about the upheaval in cannabis market kind of helps push back on the first point about banking is if that's true, then one has to question the cheapness of the financing they're going to get to open a grow house facility since IIPR is not backing dispensaries, which are just cash machines. They're only back in the grow houses because there's no track record of these people. So are they going to get a $20 million loan to make a grow house that they could screw up in a year and the bank's out the money? Or is the bank going to, if the bank grants it, or is the bank going to charge them an arm and a leg for it? And the next point is that if it's not, not going to be descheduled, then you're not going to have Fannie and Freddie buying these mortgages. You're not going to have Bank of America buying mortgages or issuing mortgages. These loans are going to be, have to be held at the local banks. And it's a pretty big step for local credit union to shell out $20 million for a growth facility and have all that risk. And like you said, this one, there's going to be upheaval. So, there, again, until we know how the bill shapes out, as it is rough draft right now, um, people aren't overly concerned. People are more thinking that it will make grower, it will make... Um, dispensaries and, and make a lot, lot, of, lot of the business that way more efficient and, and help them run cheaper and, and more efficiently. But there's not a lot of um, expectations that massive loans are going to start flowing into the cannabis business, that they're still going to have to either go to the IIPRs of the world or issue equity, that, that they're not thinking that a lot of the stuff's going to be available. Because remember, a lot of these growers in these states, they're small, they're not, it's not Tilray. It's not canopy growth, it's John, right? Some guy named John who wants to start this grow house or a group of people with him. So it's not billion dollar companies, it's this guy who's scraping together some money and some investors to build a grow house. And while there's tremendous upside for him, there's also risk for the bank. So, you know, there's really, it's, it's really, um, it's unsure what's going to happen, and it's unsure what's going to happen because the bill's not done. But you know, as I said before, there's not a lot of massive expectations for a complete change in the way things are being done right now. It's more like it'll be, it'll be, it will, it will be a lot of cost efficiencies for, um, for these businesses, not necessarily um, provide a lot of. Uh, cash financing or uh, for the for um, for the industry because the whole the whole basis of this the whole basis of Congress doing this is because they want the tax revenue so Congress is more interested in electri electrifying electrifying making more transactions electronic and taking the pure cash part out of the business because they want that tax revenue they want it more accurately reported what's coming in what's going out. So it's really not an incentive for Congress to do this in a way so they can start making loans to these guys, right? They just want their tax money. 
next question. GSE. GSE's preferred questions. As an owner of several different preferreds, Fannie Mae AS, LM, I've noticed S sells at a smaller discount to par value and is far easier to trade than the others, which seem very illiquid. How do you decide to allocate between various preferred shares? Is there something else besides the liquidity that causes the varying discounts to par value? Uh, I, I, A, so right now, when you look at preferred, the preferred stocks in the GSEs, um, because of the discount to par is what the reason I own the 50s and not the, the Fannie Mae AS, which is a $25 preferred par. We used to own that. I noticed the discount to par. It was like 10 to 15% when I did this. So I sold my S and I bought into the, the $50 ones in several levels um, to capture that 10%, right? So you, you, made, you, know, you made 10% in a day. Um, how did I decide? To, I decided based on the discount to par because I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that they're all going to go to par or higher. So buying the the one that had a larger discount to par would be the one that would make you more money. Um, the $50 are, are owned less owned than the $25, which is less owned than, than the preferred. I think that, um, and the spreads are wider because they're not traded. As, they're not very actively traded. Some of them have a tighter spread. Some of them have a very wide spread. So how did I decide? I put bids on the 50s and and see how they felt. And is not you can't, you can't go in and buy a lot because the, the, the price is sensitive to it. You know, so if you have, you know, if you're looking to buy $100,000 of preferreds, you got to do it over stages very slowly because it doesn't take much for the price to jump um, because it is something they traded. So that, that's how I did it. I'm operating under the assumption that they are all treated equally and all go to par. So whether you own the L, the M, it doesn't really doesn't matter, right? I would go for the one that has, you know, if, if you're looking to trade it, that's a completely different story. Then obviously you want the smaller, spread, smaller spreads and the higher, um, the, uh, the more highly traded issues because you're going to be able to get in and out easier. So and I'm also sort of, I'm also sort of of the opinion that there's not a lot of institutional money in the GSEs because they're on the pink sheets and because they're in conservatorship. I'm willing to bet a lot of pension funds can't own it. You know, a lot of retirement funds can't own it. A lot of mutual funds are probably prohibited from owning them because they're in conservatorship, because they're on the pink sheets. So a lot of the money in these things is individual investors. And individual investors, by and large, for some inexplicable reason, tend to buy lower priced equities. You know, this is why the common stock is is, you know, it's trade 70 million shares a day and some of these preferreds will take, change 5,000. And the $25 preferreds are trading tighter spreads and way more frequently than the $50. You know, if, if, you, if, you, if you operate under the opinion that all preferred shareholders are going to, all junior preferred shareholders are going to be treated equally then you should own the one with the biggest discount to par right now because that's where you're going to make the most money. So if you have, I don't, I don't even know where Fannie Mae S is trading right now. So I'm just using this as an example. If that's, you know, if that's at 60% of par right now, you have 40% upside. The, the, the $50, a lot of them are trading like 45%. So 60% upside. So why would you own 
again, if you're swimming, they're all going to be treated equally. Why would you own one that that's, has a smaller um, discount to par? You know, it's 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 like, you know, and then people are trading. People are just trading the common. So you get a lot of individual investors in the common. They're going crazy in it. Um, but I think when the plan to bring it out of conservatorship is announced, when the capital raise is done, I think you'll see huge money going to the preferreds because it's a very safe bet. You know, the way I look at it right now is that at, I don't know, I think they're 45% of par, the $50 preferreds. If there's significant downside in those shares, the common's going to get crushed, right? My, my preferred shares aren't going to go down 40% and the, and the common go up. The common's going to go down 60% or 70%. So I think that from the downside, I have more safety, and I also have a pretty definitive upside of 65% from here, right? Um, no, I mean, it'll, they'll, I'm sorry, they'll recover the 60% they're at par, so it'll be, it'll be over a double from here, right? They think it goes 22, 23 bucks right now, and they'll go up to 50. And that's if it only goes to 50, we'll talk about that later. So that's where I am. I have, I'm probably I'm probably at this point like 95.5 in the preferred fifty dollar preferreds in the common. So, am I giving up some potential explosive upside in the common stock? Yeah, I am. But I think, and the more I read about it, and the more I talk to people, and the more I look at it, I am of the opinion that. Most of the significant upside in the common stock is going to happen after the recap, which means as a preferred shareholder, should I stay in this or should I get converted to common, I'll participate in that. Which is great. I don't know what the common stock is going to do between now and then because we don't know What's going to happen in the recap? We don't know if the government's going to convert it, its warrants into common stock right now, make them part of the recap, sell them off over time. Who knows what they're going to do? But if new money's coming in, and new money's coming in, and they're going to raise in a common stock offering, although they did say they were going to do also some convertibles in some other ways, they're going to raise money in different ways then that new money is going to demand a lower stock price. Right? They're not going to come in at six, seven bucks a share. They're going to say, well, come in at two, maybe three. It doesn't matter what the current stock price is. You need to raise a hundred, you know, probably $60 billion for Fannie Mae. They have the power. You know, you want to raise a billion bucks? You can say these are the terms. You want to raise $65 billion? That new money is going to say, this is what will pay for those shares. And it's not going to be, they're not going to be expensive. So if they're raising money at two or three bucks a share, I think there's considerable downside possible for the common. And then once everything shakes out, there's pretty good upside. Because if you think about it, they're making... You know, Fannie Mae makes about 12 billion bucks a year. And obviously that's going to change over time given certain conditions or whatever. So you do the simple math. You know, if you say there's going to be about 6 billion shares outstanding after this, it's 2 bucks a share. 
that's, that's significant. And that could mean significant upside to the stock. If you think there's going to be $8 billion outstanding, and it drops. So it all depends on how many shares are raised, how, how much is raised, how many shares are issued, what's converted into what. So, I mean, we don't know, know any of that yet. So I think that's why I think the common stock is kind of shaky right now. But I think post-recap, the big utility, if you're, if you're converted at a low price, you're going to have a boatload of stock. And you should do, we should do very well. Um, it is looking like preferreds are going to go get, get in excess of par. When you say preferred, are you not referring to Judy preferred? Yes, I am. Which of the four do you have? And does it matter if there's very little volume with preferred? Would, would it be hard to sell given a lack of volume? So I have the L, the M, the N. Uh, it's on the spreadsheet. Um, but yes, it is a junior preferred. Whenever I'm talking about the preferred stock, I'm always talking about the junior preferred. Um, unless I, you know, if I'm not, if, I, if I'm going to talk about the government, so I'll always just say the government's stake. Just to keep it from being confusing. Um, I don't think, you know, I don't, I don't trade them. I don't trade it out of them. So the liquidity on a daily basis really doesn't matter to me. Um, I have a, my thought process is that when this plan is announced or when the net worth sweep is stopped and it's obvious they're going to start recapitalizing these things and they come out with a plan, um, I think that the preferreds start their steady march to par. And I think obviously volume is going to have to pick up significantly in order for that to happen. So at that point in time, you know, if, and I'm just throwing numbers out, if they go to 35, 40, 42 bucks and you want to sell them, then it'll be a lot easier because in order for it to almost double in price, it's going to be a hell of a lot more volume come into them. So you should be, you should be fine then. Um, the Collins case, this, you know, I, we talked about it a little bit, but um, it's huge. And David Thompson has said that in the Lambeth court, should they prevail there, that the damages are usually 6% interest. And the courts are divided whether it's simple or compound. But if it's simple interest, you get 6% a year from the date of injury, which would be September 2012. So you'll get an extra 42%, right? Seven times six. Um, you'll get an extra 42% on top of your par. They're not going to give you less than par. They give interest. You're going to get all par, and they're going to get interest. Now, again, we don't know how that would be paid out if it happens, if it's paid out in stock or cash or whatever. Um, but there is a significant chance, likelihood of that, and that also plays into settlement negotiations. If 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 you think you're going to win, and they're very very confident they're going to win before Lambert this time, especially after the Fifth Circuit decision. Right, because the FHFA was ruled unconstitutional, and they were running Fannie and Freddie, then a lot of those decisions aren't any good. And we, as a breach of contract claim, he, he, Thompson sounded. He sounded. He didn't. He's never going to say it, but he sounded like it was a slam dunk after the Collins decision. Now, the remedy in the college decision, obviously, they're split on, so that's going to have to go back to that judge, whether it invalidates the net worth sweep or does whatever. But another reason they have to settle is because the Lambeth Court, they sued the GSEs. 
And should they prevail, that liability or potential that liability goes on goes on the GSEs. It could be as much as ten billion dollars. So you can't how can you go out and raise a hundred billion dollars when you have a potential ten billion dollar liability hanging out there? Right? Who's gonna put money into that? You can't. You have to rid yourself of that liability. They're not going to trial in Lambeth anytime soon. So what are they going to do? They said Minutia might appeal to the Supreme Court, which, again, Thompson relished the opportunity. Um, you know, some of the citations in the majority opinion used quotes from <laughs> Chief Justice uh, Roberts, and Brett Kavanaugh was also quoted in that, in the decision that he made for the majority opinion in Collins. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, another case, was not very happy with the uh, uh, no judicial review in another case. And he made comments about that. And I put that on the blog probably a couple of years ago. And that's exactly what Harris says. So I don't think... They're going to find an overly friendly Supreme Court based on past decisions and some of its members and statements of some of its members in those decisions. So Thompson would, would be thrilled if they'd go to the Supreme Court because then they'll get a decision by June. And if they're going to go to the Supreme Court, they have to do it soon because their session runs from October to June. So he, he sounded very happy with that. Because the pre, a Supreme Court reaffirms this unconstitutionally constant, reaffirms for the plaintiffs, then every lawsuit just got every lawsuit just basically went for the plaintiffs. Now Mnuchin may simply be appealing to the Supreme Court to buy time, who knows? But it's out there. Additionally, a settlement is better for um, raising money. Now, why is that? Because if, if they simply amended the PSPP agreements, right? Senior Preferred Stock Agreements. And there's an election next year. And there's a new administration, a new FHA head. They could just simply amend it again. Right? And confiscate more money. Right? They could just keep doing endless amendments. If they just amend the senior preferred uh, um, stock agreements. If it's a settlement in a court, that's almost impossible to unwind. That would, be, that would lead finality. So for people potentially going to invest in these companies and for their efforts in raising money, a settlement with these shareholders is superior. A settlement that, you know, ended the net worth sweep, called the, the stock, paid in full, all this kind of stuff. If it's in court, it's almost impossible to over, overturn versus if they just do an amendment that the next administration come in and do another amendment. I mean, that's easy to do. They could easily do it. So 
you know, for that reason, again, it's better to settle. It's better to settle because you can't raise money with this potential liability hanging over your head. It's better to settle for everyone involved. It's even better to settle for the government. So I think that things are going to start happening very quickly. I do think that the net worth sweep is stopped before the end of the month. And I do think that they do not make that September payment. So that's the next 15 days. Oh, that should happen. In reality, you're talking 11 working days. Well, not, not probably not because... Although it's probably just a calendar entry. If they're, if they're going to not make the payment, they probably can't announce it on the 30th, right? Um, they probably have to announce it before, so that cuts into that a little bit more. So it'll be the next week or two. And that's, you know, that's going to be huge for the stocks. So, um, what else do we have here? Hold on. I have to uh, log back into my computer. Um, <laughs> I just got a simple question this morning. Lumber days are the question mark. Uh, yeah, so this is, this is just weird. Um, so Tom Sullivan, um, no relation, um, bought all these shares, over 7% of the company, and said he bought them um, because he thought the company was significantly undervalued and wanted to explore options just as a take private, a go private, a merger with his company, blah, blah, blah. And then, what, a week and a half later? Sells it, almost all of it. Saying that when he bought them, the shares are undervalued. But after the recent price run up, they're not undervalued. So he, stole the, he sold the stake. I don't buy that for a second. If you think about it, if, if that's true, all right, let, let's, let's take that on its face, as ridiculous as it is, and say that that's true. Then he should be buying today because the stock's right where he originally started buying it. Right? If that's true, we should get a 13D out Monday or Tuesday saying that today he was buying stock. If we don't, and he hasn't bought any more stock, then one has to question the reason why he sold it. You don't... I've, I've never heard of a scenario where someone came in, accumulated a stock, said they wanted to buy it or take it private because they thought there was 20% upside in it, which is basically what he's saying. You do that because you think there's multiples to be made down the road, right? Not 20, 30%. You know, like doubles or triples down the road. That it's so cheap that you want to buy it now because you're going to benefit off this for years to come. Or this merger is going to make us so much money. Think about it. He owns Cabinet. He, he wanted a merger or some sort of deal with the Cabinet company and him and lumber liquidators. So if that's going to... So is, is the logic that, geez, if we merge two companies, the stock only be worth about 30% more, so let's not do it now? 
mean, that just doesn't make any sense. You would do that because you think it'd be a powerhouse and you'd make 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of the stock over time. It, it, I don't know. The whole thing just doesn't make sense. And who's to say, you know, and, you know, every time someone takes a stake in a company, the stock jumps, the start, stock, starts, stock starts rising. You don't, you know, anytime Icon or any of these guys, they announce they're buying something, there's always some reaction to the stock price. They're not dumping shares the next day or a week or a month later. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, Lumber Liquidators are suing him. I, I think this has something to do with that, that he was buying in hoping to either take the company private or merge two companies, get rid of the lawsuit. And they told him, go screw. So he said, you know what? I just made 20, 30% in this stock. I'll just sell it and come up with some garbage reason why. And he had a whole plan of what to do with this company. And you, you don't, you don't do it. You don't do it to simply walk away you do it because you want it and you need it and you know how much you're going to make in this thing down the road i, I don't know it just doesn't make any sense to me I, I it doesn't pass the common sense and the smell test you know if you just said you know what i bought this stock, i bought this made a boatload of money so i decided to sell it i'm like yeah that makes sense but i don't know the reasoning he gave is kind of like whatever um let me see if there's any other questions. I feel like, oh, what percentage are your portfolio? I, I, I just answered that, so. Um, there we go. Can you please explain the potential downside to the common shares as the news about the recap comes out? So, yeah, that's, so that's, that's, I think I kind of answered that, but, um, you know, it's, 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 you, we don't know, we don't know, we know the comment's going to be diluted. We know this. We just don't know how much it's going to be diluted. And really, until you really know that, how, you know, everyone's saying, oh, it's worth, you know, you know, you I had back and forth with people on Twitter earlier in the week. You know, people saying, oh, it's worth seven, eight bucks a share. Based on what? I mean, yeah, it very well could be at one day, but even, you know, like Compass Point came out and gave it a $7 price track, but that's over a year down, that's a year from now. Right? Based on the timetable everyone's at, there should be some sort of recap done, some sort of dilution we're going to know. But, but even their guesswork, they're, they're making assumptions. You know, they had a range, a downside range of 41 cents a share. And an upside, again, this is, and this was 2022, I think, that they, they were doing these scenarios. It could be as low as 41 cents a share, it could be as high as, as 18. So even though while they have a $7 price target on it now, their own models are saying that we don't have a clue where this thing's going to trade. I mean, your range is $0.41 cents to $18. You just, you just don't know. 
you don't know where it's going to trade. So, and I, I've said for a while, and I still believe it, I think it's going to be a complete and total roller coaster. And I can see it going up a buck in a day, two days later, something that goes down a buck in a day. It, it's going to be a roller coaster. And if you're nimble and you're trading it, some people are going to make money, some people are going to get their faces ripped off. But, you know, I think that sometimes people take my comments that, you know, I don't like the common or, or the common is, is a lousy investment or whatever. And I'm not saying it's a lousy investment. What I'm saying is we don't know where it's going to price, where it's going to be. We have no idea. I have, I'm relatively certain or as certain as one can be what's going to happen to the preferred shares. And I know if I'm wrong and there's huge downside to the preferred shares, common's going to fare even worse. So in my mind, just as a safety of investment, because I do have a lot of the lot of it, that I prefer I just prefer to be in the common. Now, I could be wrong, and, and the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I prefer to be in the preferred, <laughs> not the common. I strike that last statement. Um, now, I could be wrong, and the common could go to seven eight bucks in a month. But I'm still, I'm still going to get par on my preferred if that happens. I think it's more likely that my preferred more than doubles through this process than the common. What's, it, what, you know, what's the common now? Almost four bucks, something like that. Um, yeah, three, 379. So I think it's more likely that my preferreds go from 23 to 50, then the common go from 380 to 760 in that time frame. I think the common is going to eventually get there, but I think I'll be participating in that upside. So it's all, it's, for me, it's all about, you know, it's it's play, it's playing the odds, right? What's what's the most likely scenario based on what we know, and everything you read about the common is you know outcomes, but the wide outcomes and they're completely based on guesswork. And I'm not saying that people are um, that I I'm not saying that people are putting out research and saying that you know this is we know what's going to happen and. You know, this is where it's going to end up, blah, blah, blah. I mean, they're, they're admitting in their, their research that, you know, there's a huge range of outcomes based on a lot of various scenarios. And they're running reports on all these possible scenarios. And that's why you get a $0.41 cent to $18 range of prices for this thing. Dick Beauvais thinks they're going to convert it to two fifty a share and raise money at two fifty a share. Well, if that's true, it doesn't affect our preferred at all. sure does affect the common so i mean that's that i mean again it's just a i don't know i i think it was ackman said you know he that you know you don't want you don't want to have a position where it keeps you up at night worrying about it now you can have a position that keeps you up because you're so freaking excited about it that's different 
but you don't want to have a position that keeps you upside worried. And, and my common position was very large, and that, it kept me up at night worrying about it. And I don't, I don't lose a second of sleep owning the preferreds, especially owning them at this level down here. So, so that that's where I am, and that's that's the thought process and um, why I think there could be significant downside to the common shares short term. Um, and who knows about longer term until we know the plan. And I just view them as a lot more risky than my preferred shares. And a lot less uncertain upside. So I don't think I'm going to get a dividend on the preferred share soon. So it has nothing to do with um, income or yield or anything like that. It's just, I just view it as a superior investment in a lot of ways. And I still do have some of the common. And I view that as sort of like a like a lottery ticket. And it could be great. And if it's great, it's great. But if it's not and it's terrible, you know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And I'm not going to, you know, worry about paying the bills next month. So it, it should be fine. Um, uh, what else? Oh, well, so... For those of you interested, I know I've had a lot of people reach out about the cannabis stuff. Um, if you're interested, email me. There's an event coming up in October if you're going to be in the Boston area that, um, that I can get people into if they're interested. Uh, and you'll meet other investors and there'll be a lot of entre entrepreneurs there uh, presenting their products, talking about what they're doing. Uh, I've been to a couple of them. It's, it's, it's fascinating what's going on. Just the technology space of it alone is pretty cool. So if you're going to be in the area, uh, you want to meet up, uh, do it. Um, I'm also going to, I'm also heading a syndicate uh, that to invest in it. So if you're also interested in that, um, it would be pretty cool if we could have a, a value plays investing syndicate in cannabis startups. <laughs> I think that'd be a really cool thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, send me an email if you're interested and um there's going to be a couple uh um large presentations coming up in september that you can uh be involved in on like a webcast and you can ha learn a lot of information have a lot of questions answered and things like that and i do not believe there's any limit to the number of people who can be on these webcasts so uh just send me some emails if you want to be on it want to be involved and um, we will, I'll do my best to, um, to make sure that happens and uh, answer whatever questions you have and um, put you in touch with the right people. So um, I think, let me do one last quick for questions. Yeah, that's it for questions. So I think that's it for this week. I hope I, hope I answered uh, everything. There weren't a lot of questions, mostly about the GSEs, but I think with um, the things I post on the website this week, I think everyone should probably be pretty um, pretty caught up on what's going on and, and what to expect. So uh, anyway, uh, have a fantastic weekend, everybody, and I'll be back next week.